for our lives. Lord, don't let us leave unchanged, but by the power of your gospel, sow the seeds of your gospel deep in our hearts and make them to grow and produce a great harvest. We pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Now let's turn to our reading for this service. Uh, We'll be reading uh, Philemon. And so uh, we began to go through the book of Philemon uh, last week. And as I mentioned last week, it's kind of unique when you read Philemon uh, because you're reading someone's personal mail. And so in order to understand someone's mail, uh, you need to know the situation uh, that the author and uh, the recipients uh, that they were in. And so I explained it last week, especially in the first point of the sermon, but I'll I'll briefly explain for anyone who missed it or anyone uh, who might forget. Uh, This letter is written to Philemon, of course, as the title suggests. And uh, he was a a rich man living in Colossae. Uh, He was a man of some wealth, likely a businessman. And he himself was converted to Christianity through Paul. And his family, too, we believe, came to faith uh, that's Aphia, who we'll read about, and Archippus, likely their son. And now uh, this family has been one for Christ, and they serve him, and they even host uh, the Colossian church in their house. And uh, this family, uh, it sounds like uh, things are going well, but actually there's a, a, a pretty a nasty conflict going on. Uh, this family had a slave whose name was Anisimus, and it seems that their household slave stole some money, and ran away uh, to Rome to start a new life. And we don't know exactly how, but somehow, by God's providence, uh, as Anisimus ran away out of the arms of his lord and master Philemon, uh, he ran into the arms of his lord and master Jesus Christ. We have no idea how. Somehow, how in Rome, Anisimus ran into the Apostle Paul. He listened to his preaching, and he came to love and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, uh, this letter is coming with Onesimus, who the Apostle Paul has sent home to Philemon uh, to be reconciled to his old master. And so uh, Onesimus likely is the one who delivered this letter. He comes to Philemon, this family that he's hurt, that he's likely stolen from, and he comes with this letter in his hand. So let's keep that in mind as we read this letter to Philemon. Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. 
but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, uh, Astarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's sing in response uh, to this letter, uh, which is primarily about uh, forgiveness and grace. Let's sing some more about our God's amazing forgiveness and compassion and grace uh, with two more stanzas of Psalm 103, stanzas 3 and 5. for this service, uh, which is from Philemon as well, verses 8 to 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. A quick little note there, that seems like a weird uh, sentence, unless you realize anesimus means useful. 
And so it's a little pun from the Apostle Paul. You're supposed to laugh when you read that one. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So far, our reading of Scripture. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if any of you have ever tried to change your identity. I imagine probably not in a CIA kind of way. You have to certainly change your identity and start a new life, but I suspect many of you have had to at least try and change your name. If you've tried to change your name, maybe you experienced what our family experienced. It can be kind of a big headache. Uh, my wife, when we got married, she changed her last name to mine. And now anytime she does anything for the government, for government paperwork, uh, getting a passport or renewing her license or getting a health card or anything like that, she's learned that she needs to take all kinds of extra documentation, uh, proving that she really is who she says she is and that the old papers, they actually line up with her identity and her new papers do as well. And likewise, once we were going on a trip somewhere and I filled out something wrong online, I think one of our middle names or something, something really small like that. And it took hours of time online and hours of time on the phone trying to verify our identity, that we really were the same person. And this past week, I was listening to a comedian, and he recounted a similar kind of story. He was trying to get an airline to update their information, so his name would say Nathaniel rather than Nathan. And eventually, he just gave up. It was just too much work to change his name. It was never getting done. Well, in Philemon, last week, we saw that Paul saw that Philemon had a great opportunity in this conflict we just heard about for Philemon to live out the gospel by showing self-sacrificial, undeserved forgiveness. And now we come to the part of the letter where Paul makes a loving appeal. And it's a loving appeal fundamentally that Philemon will recognize Onesimus' brand new changed identity. And we'll see that in three parts. First, we'll see Paul's approach. Secondly, we'll see Paul's affection. And then thirdly, Paul's intention. So Paul's approach, Paul's affection, and Paul's intention. So first of all, Paul's approach. And we see this in verse 8. Paul says, accordingly, so therefore, based on uh, the love and devotion and faithful service of Philemon to Christ and, and all of his saints, all his blood-bought people, he's going to ask him something. And he says, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I could command you exactly what to do in this situation, Philemon. Uh, I'm an apostle. Uh, I'm an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. I've been sent out by Christ himself to spread the gospel and be the foundation of the church. But Paul, this great apostle, says, I don't want to command you. I'd much rather appeal to you on the basis of love. 
my love for you and my love for Christ and your love for Christ and your love for the saints. I want love to motivate whatever you're going to do. And I think it's helpful to understand this with an illustration. Uh, I once heard of a situation uh, where a young man, I think in his mid to late teens, uh, was really into sports. And one day, a big tournament came up, and the final games landed on a Sunday. And this young man, he asked his father if he could skip church, and if he could go to the game instead. Ultimately, his father explained essentially the same thing Paul is saying. He explained, I know that I am right, son. I'm so confident I could command you. And as your God-given father, I actually could command you to go to church but I'd rather appeal to you. What good is it for me to force you to go to church? Your mind won't be on the worship service. It will be on the game. And you won't be worshiping. You'll just be angry at me and likely angry at God as well. So he said, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I I know the right thing for you to do is to decide that you'd rather worship God and witness to your friends in this way rather than take part in these couple games. But I'm not going to command you I'll simply appeal to you. And unfortunately, that young man came out when it was time to leave for church in his soccer cleats, and he went to the game instead. And this uh, man, when he was grown up, he told me this story, and I asked, what happened at the game? Did you, did you win or did you lose? And he said, I don't even remember, honestly. All he remembers is realizing at some point his father was right. His father was right to be bold enough to command him in what was required, and his dad was right not to command him. Because all that commanding him would have done was change his behavior. It wouldn't have changed his heart. It wouldn't have changed his mind. He wouldn't have been in the service. So here Paul writes to Philemon, and he says, I know the right thing to do is for you to forgive your slave Anisimus. And I'm an apostle. I'm an old man who's walked with Christ for a long time. In fact, I'm a prisoner of Christ in change for the gospel. And I'm confident I could command you to forgive him in Christ. I know that that wholeheartedly. This is the right thing to do. Yet for love's sake, he says, I prefer to appeal to you. Appeal to you to search your heart and to do the right thing because you know it's the right thing. To do the right thing because you want to do it. And I think we can all learn from this, can't we? Uh, Especially as people called to be in leadership positions. Maybe especially for parents or office bearers or employers or others in positions of authority. Getting the right behavior, that's one thing. And sometimes you can make a choice that gets you the right behavior. But getting to the heart, that's a completely different thing. And that's Paul's aim here. He doesn't want Philemon to forgive Anisimus on the outside and then become bitter on the inside. Paul wants Philemon's heart to be transformed by the gospel in such a way that he wants to glorify Christ self-sacrificially in this way. And may it be our prayer as well that us and our kids and our church family and others that we might want to give up our preferences and our impulses even as in this case, maybe even our legal rights for the glory of Christ. And this this request made by Paul is more powerful when you realize and remember what else he said in the letter. Because we need to realize it's not just Paul asking Philemon to give up uh, his preferences or his impulses or desires. But he's asking Philemon to search his heart and give up his preferences just as Paul already had. We read in our passage that Paul gave up his preferences and to do the right thing too. 
He says that he really wanted to keep Onesimus. He could have just sent a letter, it seems, to Philemon and say, just let him stay with me, will you? Well, guys, don't really need to be reconciled. Don't worry about it. Paul says he really wanted to keep him there. Imagine Paul in prison by himself. What a great thing would it have been to have Onesimus there to help him, to serve him, to get him food and blankets and things like that. But Paul sacrificed those desires for the right thing. For the sake of the gospel, he sent Onesimus back. You guys need to be reconciled. And now Paul asks Philemon too to search his heart for the right thing to do, the loving thing to do, and put his personal preferences and impulses beside. There's another example that comes to mind of this as well, at least I hope. When we read of this, we should be reminded of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, in a sense, lay his own preferences aside at one point. Think about it. We already read an allusion to it earlier. Jesus Christ, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in agony, he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And we know he went on and he drank the cup of God's wrath, that we'll drink later. It was Christ's true desire in his heart to glorify God, lay his own will aside to ransom us. He lay his preferences aside for the sake of love, deep, deep love. And now Paul has done the same to live out the gospel. He's saying, Philemon, I could command you, but I'm going to appeal to you instead. You too make a decision based on love. And that's Paul's approach in this situation. Having seen his approach, we'll now see Paul's affection. That's our second point. And now this is a really remarkable part of the text. Because we need to remember, Paul, the great apostle Paul, he's writing on behalf of someone that all the commentators agree no one would have written on behalf of. He's writing on behalf of the lowest of the low, the scum of society, in a sense. Onesimus, we need to remember, was a slave. More than that, he was a fugitive. He was a runaway slave. He could have been imprisoned or put to death. Even more, he was likely a thief who had stolen from Philemon and his family, who by all accounts had been nothing but good to him. And this man, we heard last week, could have been imprisoned. He could have been branded on his forehead with a hot iron, showing to everyone he was a fugitive for the rest of his life. He even legally could have been put to death. Yet notice how Paul, uh, the great apostle, writes about even Onesimus. He writes, Philemon, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. This is absolutely radical. This is Paul, the great apostle. Previously, Paul was a Pharisee. He was extremely well-versed in the scriptures. He was extremely well-educated. He was a brilliant man. And God had chosen Paul and worked powerfully through him. Hundreds, if not thousands of people had come to faith through Apostle Paul already. He wrote about half the books of the New Testament by the inspiration of the Spirit. And his Spirit-inspired words are still studied and preached around the world constantly today. And this great Apostle Paul says of Onesimus, a slave, a runaway slave, a thief, the lowest of the low, says, this man is my child. Sending him to you, I'm sending you a part of myself, Paul says. I'm sending you my very heart. 
This is remarkable and unheard of in two ways. First of all, you have to realize this hugely elevates the worth of Anisimus. Others would have thought Anisimus was completely worthless, or actually worse than worthless. But Paul sees him as a dear brother in Jesus Christ. He tells Philemon, you know Anisimus, who you're mad at, who's likely sitting in the next room? Don't think of him, first of all, as everyone else thinks of him. Don't think of him, first of all, as a useless, rebellious slave. Think of him, first of all, as my son, Apostle Paul's son. Think of him also as my heart. This is the same word for heart that we heard about last week, if you were here. When Paul said Philemon refreshes the hearts of the saints, it's not the ordinary word for heart. It means the deepest heart and soul of a person. Paul says, think of Anisimus as being part of me, a vital part of me, the core of my being. In this way, Paul raises up Anisimus by showing him, uh, uh, Philemon, his great worth. And then secondly, what we also see is that the great apostle Paul brings himself down. He connects himself to the sinful slave, and he says, I'm his father. I love what John Calvin notes on this passage. He mentions the great condescension of the apostle Paul here, that he would lower himself calling a slave, a runaway, and a thief, his son, and his very heart and soul. This is unheard of, and it's remarkable, and it's beautiful and powerful, or it should be, because it's just a tiny picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, isn't it? It's the exact same thing. By nature, you and me, we were slaves We were runaways from God. We were rebellious. We rejected and hated God. We just stole from him, just helped ourselves to his stuff, but didn't want him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Yet Christ came, and he raised us up. He raised up your value and mine way higher than we would ever think he should have. He he said and showed that we were worth dying to save. He showed that you and I, we were incredibly valuable to God for some reason. Isn't that amazing? Our great value in Jesus Christ. More than that, Christ lowered himself to do it. Christ came down from heaven, and he drew near to tax collectors and sinners like us. And he came alongside us, and he called us brothers and sisters and friends. By nature, we were worthless. But Christ declared our great worth to him. We were worth everything to him. We were worth dying for for him. What a savior we have in Christ. And more than that, Christ too claims us not just as a brother or a child or a friend, but he claims us as a part of himself. Just as Paul says, Anisimus, receive him as my own heart. We are the church, and the church is Christ's own body. When Paul, the author of this letter, when he was persecuting believers, what question did the risen Christ confront him with? Do you remember? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Paul identifies himself with the slave Onesimus, Christ identifies himself with you and with me. He came down from heaven to give his life so that he might elevate us. And we're about to remember, uh, remember and celebrate. He gave up his life. He gave up his body and gave up his blood for us. 
And so now we've seen Paul's approach and we've seen Paul's affection. Now briefly, we'll look at Paul's intention. That's our final point. When I was studying this passage, I came across something uh, really strange uh, that many many commentators kept on saying. Uh, Many commentators kept saying that Paul, he says, I'm not going to command you. I'm going to appeal to you. But then we get to the end of our passage, and then the commentators say Paul actually does command him. Paul says not to receive him as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. But I think it's important to realize here that this isn't a command. It's something way better going on. Paul isn't lying, and he's not manipulating or anything like that. He's being absolutely sincere. And when Paul says that Onesimus left a worthless slave... And he's coming back a beloved brother. He's not making a command. He's doing the same thing as uh, when he says elsewhere that Onesimus left for a little while, literally in the Greek, he left for an hour just for a small time so that they could have him back forever. He's not commanding or manipulating. He's doing something way more amazing. What is Paul saying? What is Paul doing when he says, receive this man not as a bondservant but as a beloved brother? Paul isn't commanding, he's simply stating a fact. Something radical has happened here. This man who left, Onesimus, is worth this slave, he's coming back a radically different person. A completely changed man. Paul says this throughout our text. Paul says, I became his father, and he's my child. There's some unique imagery there, isn't there? In other words, Paul is saying, by God's grace... He came to me. He heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, sent to save sinners and bring them back to God. And he was born again. This isn't the same old Anisimus sitting in your next room. Previously, Paul says, making a pun on his name, like I said, he was useless. Now, he is indeed very useful to you and to me. Paul says he was a bondservant, but now he's coming back no longer just a bondservant as much more than that, as a beloved brother. He was gone for a little while. Now you have him. Philemon really has him forever. We need to remember that there was real tension in this situation, real hurt that this letter was coming into. Financial hurt to Philemon through theft and through any work that went undone. There would have been social hurt. Philemon's reputation definitely would have been damaged by this. More than that, there was likely emotional hurt. By, by all accounts, Philemon and his family were faithful, loving, Christ-like people. And a member of their household betraying them and fleeing from them and stealing from them would really hurt. And personally, but also we heard legally, Anisimus should have been in trouble, should have been arrested or branded or worse. And yet Paul says, receive him as a new man. Not so much as a command, but more a statement as fact. Because now, in Jesus Christ, he is a new man. That is what conversion is. That was Anesimus' story. He was a new man before God, and as God's people, he should be a new man before us. And the question is, that was Anesimus' story, but is that your story? Because this should be, and it must be, the story of every true believer. The Apostle Paul and Philemon themselves, when they wrote and read this about Anesimus, they should have said, they should have realized, that is just like me. And brothers and sisters, we we have to say the same thing. Martin Luther, commenting on this text, he says, all of us are Anesimuses. 
Every one of us was a criminal. Every one of us, by nature, we were born a rebel. Each of us have betrayed and fled from our Lord, grabbing and clutching his possessions and rejecting him. And we've become slaves, not of God, but of sin. By nature, we're useless to God and to each other. Here just for an hour, not forever. And we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But in Christ, who came down and identified with us, united us to himself, we have a brand new identity in his shed blood and his broken body. Our old identity is gone. The old man is dead, praise God. Our sins washed away, held against us no more. We are righteous, we are holy, we are spotless in Jesus Christ. We stand before our Lord reborn. And we declare with Paul and Onesimus and Philemon that I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. I was once useless, absolutely useless. Now by Christ, I am very useful. I was once cursed in Adam, but now I'm a brand new creation in Christ. And we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ, formerly as rebels and slaves. But yet our Lord doesn't reject us. He doesn't send us away. But he embraces us as what we now truly are by grace through faith. The Lord Jesus Christ embraces us as beloved brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters of Christ and of one another. That is a remarkable truth that we need to remind ourselves of each and every day again. And we can't let those terms become a cliché. I think often we become too familiar with that language of brother and sister and we just throw it around without really thinking of it. But it shouldn't be cliche. It is radical. Let's truly endeavor to love and support one another as the brothers and sisters that they truly are in Christ. Paul is writing to Philemon. Paul is a Jew. He used to be a Pharisee. He's a great leader in the church. And he's writing to Philemon, a wealthy Gentile church member. And he's writing about a poor runaway slave. The the differences in class and status, they couldn't be more varied here. And yet, Paul says, what's at the core of their identities, their new identities? We're brothers. We're brothers. What is most true about us, Paul is saying, is that if you peel back all of the layers, what stands at the core of our being is we are united in Jesus Christ. We have one Father, one Lord, one Master, one older brother, and one friend. And so changing your identity, as we heard about earlier, just on paper, even for the government, is hard. But changing our identity so we can walk away from our sins, walk away from our guilt, walk away from our shortcomings, that should be impossible. No one can change our identity like that, except for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is why he was sent, to cleanse us, to make us a new creation, to bring us back to God that we can look forward to worshiping with him uh, forever once again, so that we might be brothers and sisters already now and forever. That just blew me away thinking of that this past week, that Paul was so right. For a little while longer, Philemon and Onesimus, they lived alongside each other on this earth, but now they've been brothers forever for 2,000 years, and they've got no less days to sing God's praise than when they first begun. That's amazing. That's a new identity. That is a radical transformation. And now as we go to celebrate Lord's Supper, let's remember this. Let's remember the cost to reunite us to one another and reunite us to our God. 
As we pass the elements down the pews, I hope you'll think of this. You'll take the bread and the wine and you'll think, my Savior really let his body be broken for me. He let his blood be poured out for me so I might be his forever. And then after you take the element yourself as you pass it down the row, I hope you'll think, brother or sister, he did that for you too. Amen. Let's sing together in response. Hymn 60, uh, stanzas 1 to 4. <laughs>